Welcome to another episode of the Self Storage Insight Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ben Godfordson of Big Ben's Moving and Storage and Big Storage Ventures. And we're going to discuss his transition from a moving business into the storage industry. Uh, ben, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of a background on yourself and kind of how you got started. Thanks for having me on. My name's Ben Godfordson. I, I, uh, I own Big Ben's Moving and Storage and Big, uh, Big Storage Ventures. And the how I got into storage, so I started with a moving company that I'm in a, I live in an area where there's a lot of growth and, and real estate transactions. So I just found myself in this service business that turned out to be pretty lucrative. You just have to do a, a good job for people and they keep calling. Okay. And so, so, you know, going through college, I was playing football at a small university called Dixie State University. And I didn't have time to hold down a job. So that's what I did. And at the same time, I fell in love with real estate. I would buy rental properties and I, I lived in the first one and I rented out the other rooms to eight guys. So it was like nine okay. guys in, in a three-story house. Nice. You know, and then I refinance it a, a, a year later for and take out a, a hundred grand on a couple properties and I'm falling in love with real estate, right? At the same time as I have all these customers calling me for my moving company saying, hey, I'd love to hire you for moving and can you store my stuff as well? And so I realized I had a lot of lead generation happening for storage sure. facilities that I just had to pass off. So <laughs> I, I, um, my first deal was here in St. George where I grew up, where I live. And I kind of just had to bootstrap that one like I saved I saved up cash just for my moving company to buy some land uh it, just in cash mm -hmm. but then I still had to get the loan and I think as your audience knows like one of the biggest barriers of entry is the banks right, right. and so for a first timer I was you know I had to be persistent like I had to go from bank to bank to bank I went to a dozen banks and finally I went to this uh, this small town bank, and I went to the there's three there's th three branches in town, and finally the third banker, he gave me the loan like okay. so that I, I had already been rejected by other people at the same bank, and he <laughs> finally let me into my first deal. So as far as kind of moving in then from from moving to storage, uh, I'm assuming then you ended up building that first facility correct with the land that you had purchased. If you don't mind filling us in a little bit on like kind of what, what was that process like from closing on the deal with the bank to getting your first customer to move in? Well, to be honest, I got pretty fortunate. Like a couple a couple of things that worked out. It's it's a two acre facility. It has a good a good unit mix. Um, I learned a lot. I call it my guinea pig, but it has a good mix of you know climate controlled enclosed RV drive up. And it was a process, you know, you learn that you have to uh, push construction along. One thing mm -hmm. that I feel really fortunate is it didn't go over budget. I think oh, it nice. went a little bit over on timeline. Like you can't really trust the timeline. So now we right. account, we account for a longer timeline. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I knew, and, and this was the problem was, with putting it through with the banks was I knew what I could charge and I knew how fast I would lease up, but I had to underwrite like a three year, right. A three year window. Yeah. But the, the cool part was, and this is not something I want everyone to plan on. And I don't plan on this for every facility, 
but we started um we started putting tenants in units as soon as they were built so like before we okay. even before we even had the co before we even had the the loan close like i was putting tenants in units and okay. by the time we closed the loan we had enough income coming in that we we were never cash negative for one month on oh, that wow. yeah. yeah and i i don't I, I don't say it like a brag, like it's, it's because it was small. It's because I already had the leads coming in. Mm -hmm, and right. so that's kind of the story of the first one. What, what year was that, that you built that in? If you don't mind. That was 2019. Okay. Um, so you got in right yeah. before like the whole COVID materials rush and everything was. The timing was nuts. lucky. The timing was, was blessed, right? Like there's no. There's no way around it. Right. It was, uh, if I would have started, you know, in, in 2022 and had to fill up in 2023, I think I would have been okay, but I probably wouldn't have been cash positive right out the gate, you know? Right. For sure. Now, is there anything that you can remember specifically as far as like a pain point as you grew out of just moving and into both moving and storage operationally or anything like that, that you can think of? We're still trying to build out our infrastructure, right? So we're scaling. So like now we've done four more properties and we have our moving side is scaling as well. So we've gone from, okay, should we have separate people answer the phones for moving in storage? Should we have it be the same person and leverage economies of scale? You know, right. so we kind of classify these tasks at our storage facility into um, proactive in-person, proactive uh, remote and then proactive or uh, reactive in person and reactive remote. Okay. And so we're trying to still, we're still massaging it. And I wouldn't call it a pain point, but really just an opportunity to figure out the most efficient way to kind of leverage both of these businesses at once. And you have to do the same thing, even without a moving company, you have to decide what you're going to pay people. Are you going to try to do a, uh, a call center? Are you going to try to have someone at every site, right? A lot of these right. uh, issues come up. And yeah, and what they, what they say, right? Moving is good for storage. Moving is good for moving too. So you kind of just, you know, it's a really good fit. It seems like as far as to have both of those businesses at the same time. Yes, I, I think it's been a tremendous, you know, benefit. I think, um, I don't want people just to tune out and say, oh, well, you have a moving company. It's, you know, that's a, an advantage I'll never have, right? Because there's other ways you can do it, right? We were just talking yesterday on a, a coaching call and basically talking about U-Haul, right? And so because I have a moving company, I've had like a conflict of interest with U-Haul for a little while where they mm -hmm. they were hesitant to let to trust me to do U-Hauls out of my storage facilities. But just this last month we convinced them to let us put u-haul in and okay. you know there is some downside because you have people that there some attention will be taken off your storage operation right but i think as far as lead generation um u-haul and moving clients they'll pay more than what we call like core occupants who are just they just want the storage unit for forever like an extra garage Right. Those people pay less than people who are only planning on being in there for less than 12 months because they're moving. Right. So there's other things you can do besides start a moving company to get creative on 
on driving traffic to your facility. Right. And you can pair them together too, as far as, you know, I, I know we had spoke the other day when I talked to you on the phone about bundling and stuff, but at the same time, you know, you, you can generate leads online. There's a lot of ways that you can get creative to yeah. lease up and fill up your facility. Uh, if, if you don't mind, we'll kind of switch towards acquisitions a little bit at this point. And uh, so you built your first facility in 2019. And then since then, you've acquired, what, four more properties, correct, as far as over the last few years? Yeah, we have four four more um, in, in various stages of stabilization. Um, the second deal is a conversion that we bought in uh, Provo that is still going on. Okay. And uh, I've learned a lot about conversions. Maybe we can dive into that. Yeah, then sure. we have an acquisition in Salt Lake. That's been a really exciting one um, already. And that that's actually a cool story because with that one, we actually had to put $0 down on that oh. one because what happened uh, that we got it from a wholesaler and the wholesaler, they, they actually um, they're, they're nice guys, but legally they did a few no-nos. So okay. to avoid, uh, so they introduced us to the seller and to avoid a lawsuit, the wholesaler backed out and basically just introduced us to the seller. And we and we had some legal legal things on the seller and it was kind of messy. So mm -hmm. we just sat down with the seller and said, look, like we have been putting a lot of resources into this deal. What can we do here? They owned it free and clear and they were happy. So basically what we did was we 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 let them retain some ownership but we let them retain enough ownership that the bank would basically just let us take out a loan with $0 down. Um, so, so speaking on those, those acquisition types, right. With, with the conversion, when, when you're yeah. looking for a conversion facility, right. What are you kind of looking at as you go into that deal, as far as projecting out, you know, future revenues, uh, you know, how much work yeah. goes into that side of it? Well, I'll tell you what I I'm, this this conversion that we did has probably been our hairiest deal, to be honest, right? So we have, I would say, I would be more hesitant to do conversions again versus just regular new construction or acquisitions, right? Because I think people like the advantage to an acquisition is you can get you can creatively get in a market, right? You can get a location that maybe other traditional storage buyers and builders aren't thinking about, right? And so right. that's the advantage of a conversion, but there's a lot more surprises, right? Because even with ground up and acquisitions, you know, you're always going to have some value add with an acquisition, but the amount of surprises that come with a conversion are just through the roof, right? You You didn't know that there would be you know, this problem with the roof or that you'd have to fill in this loading dock or that you'd have to be this far away from the power lines and there's already existing buildings there. Right. Right. So I guess my advice would be you have some advantages because your construction costs on just a plain blank slate warehouse go down when you do a conversion, mm -hmm. but there's also more dangers hiding behind the curtain too. So, so out, out of the, the acquisitions that you've done, as far as the due diligence that you do um, yeah. before you purchase a facility, how has that kind of changed from your first one to your last one? What are some things that you learned that you really want to dive into before you uh, commit to that purchase? For me, I'm looking more into the books, right? Like mm -hmm. I think a lot of times with other, you know, like 
so, some for a conversion or an acquisition, like you look at the roof, you look at the big, the big expenses that could come up. But I, I spend a lot of my attention looking at like, okay, what are they hiding on the books? What expenses are they hiding on the books? What are they stretching? Right? Like, for example, uh, one of the big no-nos that we talk about is like paying, uh, like if someone has a revenue line for U-Hauls, I just brought up U-Hauls, but right. you can't pay on a cap rate. You have to pay like on a business for that revenue line. Right. right. And so um, it depends on how long, how strong the deal is, because on this last deal we did, it was our best deal yet. And it was so strong. I basically did a very like I, I put 10 grand down hard immediately, even with like, even before due diligence, Okay. because it was such a strong deal. But I'll tell you like other deals that we've done, I've asked for 90 days and, and got it. And then I, I even asked for another 30 days and I was like, okay, I'll pay you, you know, five grand earnest money. If you let me extend or I'll, I'll back out, you know, and, and okay. they, the sellers, Sellers ended up cooperating, taking that extra earnest money, and we still did the deal. And I'm still actually that deal is looking better and better all the time. But it was it wasn't as clear, right? We needed like three or four months to really vet the deal. And some of those good deals, when you find them like that, it's more just take it or leave it. You don't really get to negotiate a whole lot of stuff because somebody else is gonna come in there with a better offer. So yeah, as yeah. far as like the things that I've seen and to other people I've talked to, it's usually, you know, try to get 90 days if you can, but obviously that's usually best case scenario. And, and a lot of people don't work with you that well on it. But so I was just kind of curious your experience as far as what you shoot for. And Yeah. And I, I think backing out of a deal is really healthy, right? Like I, I think it's a good practice for someone getting in the game mm -hmm. to, you know, if you're not a hundred percent certain on the first deal you get under contract, practice backing out just to prove to yourself, Hey, I'm capable of getting a deal under contract, vetting it and backing out. It's a good, it's a good practice. Um, as far as, so for somebody maybe newer looking to get their first facility or, you know, new to storage, what would be your, your kind of, you know, the advantages to buying a value add versus building your first facility, which you built your first facility, right? So kind of what is kind of the, the pros and cons to that comparison? Building is an easier way to get in, right? Just finding a spot. Um, but I would say acquisitions are better. Um, acquisitions, if you, you can buy a, a facility with occupancy, your turnaround is just so much faster, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I tell this to my, because uh, we do syndications. So we we bring on partners looking for all sorts of different deals, right? And okay. I, I tell them, hey, like, you know, I want to pair you up with the best asset for you. And so if you're looking for, you know, we have people that will take on people that they're only putting in a hundred thousand dollars and that hundred thousand dollars means everything to them. Mm -hmm. Like they, they need to see a, a return like within a quarter and right. I'll just tell them, okay, look, like if, if you need to see a return soon, we got to wait till we get another acquisition. But we have, we have people, we're working with a $350 million company. They're just like, we want to build wealth period. And so they're the ones that we're doing our new construction projects on because they can take more of like a 10 year horizon and see all the millions in equity they're going to build on right, top sure. of the cash flow. So yeah. I think it depends on your goal, your horizon. I know that acquisitions are much safer. Um, there's less risk. 
but I do think that I don't see a problem with mixing in. I would say our goal, just we wrote we wrote this down. We want to be about 80% acquisitions and 20% new developments. And we don't want to go over 20% new developments just okay. to kind of diversify. Very interesting too, as far as, so, so with the facilities that you have and the one that's under new construction now, yeah. um, how, how long has that construction process been going on? I think I, I didn't know when you were planning to start leasing up or, you know, how long is a, how long is a newer facility taking you to build? This one has, okay. So I'll tell you both. Right. And I'll, I'll kind of tie in conversions. Right. So the, I want to, I want to bring this up to the plans for the architect and the engineers. They're so much more difficult and expensive on a conversion than a new build. So that's something that people okay. need, need to know. So th this deal we bought a year ago, um, this conversion, the plans are, are taking su such a long time that mm -hmm. this, this new construction we bought, uh, you know, just a couple months ago, it's looking like these two projects are going to finish up about the same time. Oh, wow. So we're adding about, we're adding approximately nine months longer to do a conversion project just because of the prep work and the architecture mm -hmm. as compared to a, a construction deal. So we anticipate that in our deal with our partners, we have um, basically a 14 month uh, guideline where if we can, if we can get this built and get the first tenant in, in 14 months, we hit basically a mark that we get a, a bigger, a bigger piece of the pie. Okay. Um, where if it takes us longer than 14 months for this new construction project, then um, we don't get that. Right. So we, we believe truly that um, we'll have everything ready to go to break ground this spring and be done this summer. So we can meet that window. Okay. I think 14 months is really good. Like a good um, safe, like if it's a new construction, that's a safe mm -hmm. goal where, yeah, I'd be looking at closer to, you know, 23 months on a conversion. Yeah. That's crazy that it's, you know, that big of a difference because looking at it from, from just a, you know, if I'm outside the industry looking in, it seems like it'd be faster to do a conversion than a new construction. If the, if the, you know, the structures are in place and all you're doing is partitioning off buildings and things, but you can get into a lot of stuff. I was working with a, a guy locally where I was working on his floor plan and stuff. As far as the layout, he had bought an old restaurant was making it climate controlled units. Nice. And so he also has a moving company, which is kind of interesting as far as he's kind of doing the two, the two part, you know, moving and uh, storage, but just even walking through the building and seeing the way that the structure's laid out and, you know, you're looking at partition, removing partitions. And so you have to have an engineer come in with a commercial building and, and say what's load bearing and, you know, how do you support being, there's just a lot of things that go into where really quickly, if you don't know what you're doing, you'll get in over your head with a conversion. It feels like. Yes. And since I have to clarify this conversion, this one I'm, I've been referring to is a big hairy conversion. It's, it's going to be, uh, 10 million plus project after it's all said and done, which is, it's good. Like it's going to be worth so much someday. Um, but we, we have another smaller, this, uh, this acquisition, our most recent one has a 5,000 square foot warehouse and we're just going to put 40, uh, climate controlled units in it. And so it's going to be a small scale conversion mm -hmm. and that is going to be so much easier, cheaper, faster, like Right. When you're when you just have one flat warehouse 
it's so much different. We have these two warehouses and there's loading docks and drainage things. And mm -hmm. there's, there's like cement lips and there's so right. many, uh, surprises. So yeah. there's all, not all conversions are created equal. This episode of the self-storage insight podcast was brought to you by CC storage. Are you a self-storage facility owner or operator? And you're frustrated with your current property management software. You are not alone. We hear complaints like this all the time. Our fees keep increasing. Our support is terrible and we can't get a hold of anyone. So CC Storage developed a software that allows your customers the ability to sign up online for units, as well as access to a tenant portal where they can make payments online, manage things like auto pay, and a whole bunch of other cool features. The coolest one is that they can do all of this at no cost to your business. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, check out the link in the description below or head on over to ccstorage.com to learn more. Now back to the podcast. So uh, just to kind of shift gears a little bit, I like to always ask people whenever I talk to them, have you ever had any horror stories within self-storage or anything crazy that's happened to you out of the norm that you'd like to share? Oh man, we, we do. We have funny stuff all the time. I mean, one of my strategies is to keep prices high. So I keep a lot, I keep out a lot of the riffraff, right? Like I keep out mm -hmm. a lot of those druggies and, and defaulting tenants. Right. But yeah, we we do catch people on our cameras at like 3 a.m. doing weird stuff and we have to address it. We I live in a really safe part of like a really safe part of the country, but we just bought uh we just bought a facility in an inner city. And okay. so it's been a crazy learning experience because these, you know, criminals, they just freaking smell the vulnerability, right? Like we we're doing this uh, one this project where we're tearing down an office and a living quarters, and we're going to make it rentable space. But we have to take down the gate for like two weeks, right? Okay. People like criminals catch on to it, and they don't even who tells them that the gate's down, and they have like a chance to go like cause trouble, right? And so <laughs> we do we do have those. Um, you know, we, when you're when you're flipping a facility and you're raising everybody's rates substantially, mm -hmm. and you have to, like, you have so many sad sob stories. Like we had this lady, and she calls in, and she she got her rent raised, and you know she's blind, and her unit's full of braille, and it's like, you know, do we just have to say like, oh my gosh, like what? Yeah. <laughs> we feel so bad. We feel so bad, but we're not changing our rent right. policy, and we get yeah. stuff like that. We had one where there we pulled up to the facility and there was a cop there arresting our tenant right in front of us nice. and left the wife there, left the wife there crying in a puddle of tears. And we raised their rent 300% because we had just taken over the facility. So that's a bad day for them. <laughs> the list goes on, but right. it's a, it's a, people think it's boring. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting as far as you brought up uh, raising rates, which is one of the next things I was kind of wanting to talk to you a little bit about, you know, if, if you are getting into storage, you, you're going to need to raise rates. So if you yeah. aren't comfortable with having that conversation with customers, right, it's probably not the industry to get into. Uh, because even yeah, with your value adds and stuff, if you're buying a mom and pop location, 
you're going to want to raise rates and, and, you know, to stay competitive with what everybody else is doing. And so with, with your new build or your new facilities that you've built with the lease up process, what is kind of your strategy there as far as the introductory rate, the street rate, right. Versus the in-place rate. Yeah. Good question. So we just bought this one and I want to talk about this because people have to, um, people have to raise rates. Right. And, and we just bought this facility where the gross income was like 22,000 and we got it on, we got the deal on seller financing and our monthly payment to him was going to be 34,000. Right. So we knew that we would have to go in and raise rates. And this is a facility that's a unicorn. Like it's kind of a monopoly where it's the only facility in the city and it's a really snooty town where they're never going to let more storage be built. Okay. And the tenants, the tenants have been getting, you know, so far below market. So we went in and we rate, we had to triple everybody's rent day one. Right. Okay. And I had, I had this guy call me and he's a friend of mine. I didn't know he was a tenant in there. And he called me and he's like, Hey, I just had a heart attack. I was like, are you okay? Like, can I help you? And he's like, <laughs> you tripled my rent. <laughs> so, um, you know, I just had to tell him like, look, you've been, we didn't do anything mean. You've been getting a discount for a long time. And for us to service the debt, we had to do this, you know, like this facility has been a hundred percent full for decades. Right. And so we literally had to come in. We had no choice for us to service the debt. And now we're cash flowing already month one. Um, so one thing I'll do is I'll put down extra earnest money. We put down an extra $100,000 of earnest money so we could take over operations before we closed because okay. we were going to have to put that money down anyways to get the deal. But right. we wanted to just jump in there and start raising people's rates before we even owned it. Okay. Um, so we're pretty aggressive. Um, you know, you do have to peel back. I think the next two quarters are going to be pretty tough. So, you know, once you get people out, then you got to drop street rates again to get new people back in. Right. Right. And I do know that whenever, especially the next, let's say six months, right. Whenever new people are coming in the market, you have to, right before they open their doors, you have to raise rent. Right. So you, you get people at, at as high as you feel like you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And then once they open their doors, you know that for them to lease up, they're going to have to have low prices. So you bring your you bring your street rates back down again mm -hmm. so that you can match theirs and compete for those new tenants. Right. Right. So that's kind of a strategy that we're going to be employing over the next six months. I feel like there's a lot more strategy involved in it than people think. You know, yeah. oh, like everybody's in 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 towns paying the same rate. If you have a storage facility, that's just not the case. And yeah. so, yeah, it's it's very interesting. What what was your turnover like? So, whenever you raised the rates three hundred percent, how many people moved out? Was there like was it close to the thirty percent, or did it significantly increase because of that first big increase that they hadn't seen in a long time? Twenty five percent moved out. So we okay we went from a hundred percent, literally a hundred percent, to seventy five percent, but everybody else stayed. Mm -hmm. Everybody else, everybody else sucked it up. And they, cause the thing is I have another facility in the same town where we're charging more for smaller units. Right. So it wasn't like, like I say 300% and 
it's not like they had anywhere to go. So that 25% that left, they just quit storage. They just said, time to, for me to move my stuff back in my garage. They didn't have another right. place to go for, for cheaper. That's kind of, you know, why we were so confident doing it. Yeah. And, and that might not be the case, obviously, with every location, because some places they would have somewhere else to go and you'd probably lose a significantly more amount. However, the game doesn't really change, right? You still do that increase. You just lose a yeah. higher percentage and then you lease up more, you lower rates more to get them in the door. And then you do it again and again until you can sit at a higher occupancy rate. So it's very interesting to hear everybody's strategy on how they plan to lease up new facilities or, or as well as acquisitions as they're trying to increase the value per unit. Is there any, is there any like one piece of information you'd want to give to possibly somebody looking to get started in storage? Uh, like, you know, they're looking to acquire a facility. What's the one thing that you would tell them maybe is just, you know, one good piece of advice. Well, this might be more like real estate, general real estate advice is almost think of it more like a business, right? People think that every piece of real estate is going to be so passive. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like I have, I have Airbnb, I have these houses I rent out by the room, I have storage facilities and it just became, it became as much work for me to rent out my you know, single family homes as it did to build out a storage property management company. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say diversify. And I think you can diversify enough within an asset class. Um, so I guess my my advice would be when you buy your first storage facility, unless you really are just going to like, you're the type of person that's going to live there and this is just your new job and that's what you want. I would say, don't think that it's just going to be passive, anticipate, you know, have enough meat on the bone for that deal to build out a property management company so that it's, so that it can be passive because it's, it's not if you don't build it out. Yeah. And I think too, like just with the landscape of storage, it's going to change a lot over the next few years. I mean, even in our area, you know, the facilities going in are significantly nicer, yeah. The mom and pop shops are getting fewer and farther between as big companies buy them up and then renovate them, you know, so you're going to have to be somewhat aggressive, I think, in the next 10 years to keep that asset profitable, right, versus just buying a facility and saying, oh, we're 100% occupancy, we're going to keep the rate at 60 bucks so nobody moves out like that, that game is going to change and that. I'm excited to kind of see what it looks like. Yep, it's fun. I feel like we still got in in time because, you know, in 30 years, it's this will probably be a very consolidated, maybe shorter amount of time, you know, who knows, but this will be way consolidated, just like, you know, apartments are and other other types of real estate. So right. if you're in if you're in the storage game, it might feel like it competition's tough and it's already consolidated and it's hard to get in a deal, but it's just gonna get worse. So just enjoy the next decade or two while we still can. Get as many as you can before uh, before time runs out. Yeah. This podcast episode was brought to you by CC Storage. CC Storage is a property management software that helps you pass the fees of credit card processing onto your customers so you don't pay credit card processing fees ever again. If you enjoyed the podcast, there's a link below where you can fill out a form and be interviewed on the podcast with myself. If that interests you, please click the link below and we'll be in touch. We hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Don't forget to check back next week for another interview with another self-storage property owner.